For the 139th QuackCast, this is called Agnotology, the Study of Ignorance. A comment from the Science-Based Medicine blog. Quote, Every single time, bar none, I've had a conversation with someone about CAM and its modalities. They are absolutely astonished when I explain to them what the modality really is. One study I love telling comes from my friend in a year behind me. His parents are professional chemists, and he came home one day and saw his mother had a bottle of homeopathic medicine. He asked her why, and she gave the typical noncommittal response of, well, I thought it may help, and I saw it on the shelf at the pharmacy. He explained what homeopathy actually is, and they were absolutely dumbfounded. They are well aware of Avogadro's number, after all. People generally don't study what the cam in question actually is. Merely the fluff PR garbage that gets touted around, and without direct and clear demonstration of harm, give it a pass as a result. After all, the business of real medicine is time-consuming and difficult enough. End of quote. Participating in activities that have a permanent record gives one the fortunate or unfortunate opportunity to revisit the past and see just how you worked early in a career. It is sobering, as a third-year resident, to read notes I had written as an intern. Man, it was amazing how unsophisticated my medical thinking had been a little over two years prior. How little I understood about the ins and outs of diagnosis and treatment, even after four years of medical school. It is part of the reason I think it is a joke, albeit a cruel joke, that naturopaths and other pseudo-medical providers think they can function as primary care providers after a few years of alternative edumacation. I have had a similar experience every now and then when I see the notes from early in my infectious disease practice, now heading into 24 years. Not quite as painful, but still remarkable in how much I didn't know then. My ID podcast is an ongoing reminder of how much I still do not know. The last 34 years, that's when I started medical school, have been my personal linear acquisition of knowledge from the exponential production in the medical and non-medical world. Ignorance isn't bliss, but an ever-expanding hole that can never be filled. There is nothing wrong with ignorance per se. It depends on what you do with it. Ignorance can be a condition you can spend a lifetime attempting to overcome. My early career in the world of science-based medicine was divined by a remarkable naivete. I thought people who used the various pseudo-medicines were simply ignorant. They lacked basic information about the topic, and all I had to do was supply that information. They would read, listen to my explanation, and think, oh, that's how it works, abandon the pseudo-medicines, and move on. That is partly how medical training works. Once you learn how some therapy or procedure does or does not work, you behave accordingly eventually. Change is painful, and I do notice as I age how much harder it is to make an intellectual change. Habit is just so comfortable. There was certainly a large helping of ignorance with a side of hubris on my part, but that is how you increase knowledge. You discover gaps and you fill them. I have not thought much about ignorance. Most of my time is spent on the hows and whys of the acquisition of knowledge. Part of my job and my hobby is to be an educator. I think of residents, myself, my readers, as an empty glass to be filled with facts and their relationships. A simplistic idea, but how I spend a huge amount of my time. 
I take in information, I organize it, I synthesize it, and I pass it on to others, hopefully in a clear and clever manner. Others have thought about ignorance in a more comprehensive way. Robert N. Proctor is such a person, and he has coined a term for the cultural production and study of ignorance, agnotology. The author delineates several kinds of ignorance in his paper, and they make a good conceptual framework for understanding ignorance. Quote, And though distinctions such as these are somewhat arbitrary, I shall make three to begin the discussion. Ignorance as a native state, ignorance as a lost realm or selective choice, and ignorance as a deliberately engineered and strategic ploy or active construct. As he points out that, quote, Ignorance has many interesting surrogates and overlaps in myriads of ways with, and is generated by, secrecy, stupidity, apathy, censorship, disinformation, faith, and forgetfulness. End of quote. I have tended to think of ignorance only in the first definition, simply lacking knowledge on a topic or having wrong or incomplete knowledge. No one can know everything or anything perfectly. It is a kind of arrogance I thought I was combating when I started my blogging career and why I spend an inordinate amount of time on Google and PubMed. It leads to the second kind of ignorance, that of selective choice. Due to time and interest, not all topics in the universe are equally interesting. There are areas that I choose to have a minimal knowledge. Diet, I admit, bores me. I pay little attention to the ongoing debates as to the best diet and what is good and bad to eat. I eat for pleasure, or fuel, and not for health, and it is not part of my medical life, so I don't need to know diet in detail. I, of course, try not to eat stupidly, but I'm not going to pass out bacon and beer. Other examples of selective ignorance occur in professional education. Medical schools and residencies give short shrift to pseudomedicine and critical thinking, and probably justifiably so. There is just so much time in neuronal space for the jaw-droppingly huge amount of information that becoming a physician requires. I mentioned before that I was in medical school and training from 1980 to 1990. That decade of my life was spent learning my profession. My kids used to love to watch I Love the 80s on VH1, and I recognized nothing from that show. I did not know the movies, the music, the fashion, and the memes. They were all new to me. Most people lose a decade of life to drugs or alcohol. Mine was to medicine. I have a huge selective ignorance concerning the 80s. And if the show I Love the 80s is any evidence, that is a good thing. Even more impressive in their selective ignorance is the training of pseudomedicines. Quote, Ignorance is a production of inattention, and since we cannot study all things, by some necessity, almost all, in fact, must be left out. A way of seeing is also a way of not seeing. A focus upon object A involves a neglect of object B. And that is best typified by the curricula at a naturopathic school. They learn lots about, say, homeopathy. As a result, they cannot learn about, say, reality. Vast quantities of time are spent on areas divorced from reality. Homeopathy, acupuncture, hydrotherapy... The effort to absorb these fantasies is, by their nature, going to prevent acquisition of knowledge about reality. There is a similar process occurring at chiropractic schools, 
where they like to brag about their education. Quote, According to the American Chiropractic Association, the course of study to become a chiropractor includes 4,200 hours of classroom, laboratory, and clinical experience in orthopedics, neurology, physiology, human anatomy, clinical diagnosis, including laboratory procedures, diagnostic imaging, exercise, nutrition, rehabilitation, and more. End of quote. I am not impressed. That 4,200 hours is a mere 525 eight-hour days a little under a year and a half. It would be so much more impressive if they said their training was 15,120,000 seconds. The bigger the number, the better the education, right? My internal medicine training was seven years, four years of medical school, three years of residency, plus two more years for infectious disease training. So what good is all that chiropractic training if it applies to the fantastical ideas of, say, fixing subluxations? It is like learning horse anatomy only to go out and care for unicorns. But it also ensures ignorance in areas of reality-based medicine. The more interesting form of ignorance is the third, ignorance as a strategic ploy or active construct. Quote, the focus here is on ignorance or doubt or uncertainty as something that is made, maintained, and manipulated by certain arts and sciences. The idea is one that easily lends itself to paranoia, namely that certain people don't want you to know certain things, or will actively work to organize doubt or uncertainty or misinformation to help maintain your ignorance. They know, and may or may not want you to know that they know, but you are not to be privy to the secret. This is an idea insufficiently explored by philosophers, that ignorance should not be viewed as a simple omission or gap, but rather as an active production. Ignorance can be actively engineered part of a deliberate plan. End of quote. The author uses the tobacco industry as an archetype for an industry that manufactures ignorance, and they start the paper with a quote as follows, Doubt is our product. Brown and Williams Tobacco Company, Internal Memo, 1969. The manufacture of doubt is common in the pseudo-medical world. It could not exist without it. I do not know if ignorance is bliss, but for pseudo-medicine, it is a requisite. The false information that underlies all pseudo-medicine, from the popularity of pseudo-medicine in the United States, to the efficacy of acupuncture, to the safety of chiropractic, to the mechanism of Reiki, relies on the production of massive amounts of ignorance, and so, too, has some aspects of real medical treatments. The pharmaceutical companies have not been hesitant to borrow methods from their tobacco brethren. Although science can be an antidote to the production of ignorance in the real world, in the pseudo-medical world, they are often invulnerable to data. Examples of ignorance as a strategic ploy in the pseudo-medical world abound and can, for a time, be effective as Megan Sandlin demonstrated, although, quote, in the end, I could not deny the science. It is hard to believe how easily I brought into everything I was hearing from the anti-vaccine crowd. It seems extremely obvious now. Doctors aren't evil. Scientists aren't trying to kill your kids with toxins. Vaccine researchers aren't just trying to scam you out of your money, end of quote. That's not obvious to a lot of people. Natural News and the Mercola site are probably the Ford and GM of medical ignorance production. But there are numerous boutique producers, 
I ran across Why You Never Need a Tetanus Vaccine, Regardless of Your Age or Location, by Dave Mahalovic, N.D., not a doctor, whose ignorance production I have discussed before. Quote, Mr. Mahalovic identifies himself as a naturopathic medical doctor who specializes in vaccine research. However, just where that research is published is uncertain, as his name yields no publications on the PubMeds. By the way, I specialize in beer research. I have the same credentials. Tetanus is a rare disease in the United States. I have seen one case years ago as a fellow in an elderly immigrant who never received a vaccine. Having every muscle spasm at once is horrible for the victim. And worldwide, tetanus remains a problem, although in the United States it's dropped dramatically due to the vaccine. A rare, awful, and mostly preventable disease, it is caused by Clostridium tetani. The bacteria found in the soil gets into damaged tissue, releases its toxin, and results in tetanus. Tetanus toxin, tetanospasmin, is an extremely potent and can cause severe disease, yet is so powerful it does not cause antibody production because you can't get enough in your bloodstream for the immune system to recognize it. A curiosity of many toxins made by Clostridia, be it botulism, tetanus, or gas gangrene, the purpose of the toxins in the wild remains a mystery, and as an anaerobe, it can be difficult to grow. Of course, as is his métier, and no doubt as a result of his naturopathic training, where his understanding of microbiology in infectious diseases is apparently profoundly ignorant, he says, quote, The tetanus bacteria may be a factor in tetanus. May? The toxin may be involved in some way, but that these are fundamental causes is nonsense. Otherwise, the disease would be more common in view of the fact that bacteria are so frequently found on and in our bodies. And the real cause of tetanus is not a germ, but dirt and filth. The bacteria are harmless when placed in a surgically clean wound. Tetanus develops when the drainage of a wound is checked and dirt is released into the tissues. And... The patient suffering from tetanus should be put in bed, permitted to rest, kept warm and fasting should be immediately instituted. They should receive all the salubrious hygienic influence and the fasting should be continued until all the symptoms has disappeared. Advice and treatment that, if followed, could result in a repeat of the case in Australia where a child got tetanus. Quote, Auckland parents thought they had made an informed choice not to vaccinate their children. But when their son ended up in an intensive care unit with a tetanus infection, they realized they had made a terrible mistake. The problem with reality, of course, is it doesn't care if you're ignorant. You can reject reality and substitute your own where dirt causes tetanus and vaccines are worthless. Get the perfect storm of bad luck and you will get tetanus if you are not vaccinated. Pseudomedicine is producing ignorance at a vastly higher rate than medicine can produce an approximation of the truth. It will always be that way. It is why I lobbied for Sisyphus to be the emblem of the Society for Science-Based Medicine. They voted me down. And this ends the 139th QuackCast. Go to edgydoc.com to find links to my growing multimedia empire, and of course, go over to sfsbm.org, the Society for Science-Based Medicine, and check out the work we are trying to do there. See you later. Bye.